Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary, and today our guest is Nicole Diaz, who is the Global Head of Integrity and Compliance within SNAP's legal department. Welcome, Nicole. Please tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So my background, I was a litigator for a decade, doing uh, both white-collar matters and complex civil and that's actually how I, I came to SNAP. I started in our, in our litigation team. Mm-hmm. And the role opened up to do compliance work, which I had already sort of been doing, mm-hmm. you know, on a um, partial basis. But mm-hmm. I really wanted to go full time into compliance because I felt that it was an opportunity to fix mm-hmm. a lot of the problems that I saw as a litigator. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, as a litigator, you realize it's not about you know, no one, even in the white collar matters, it's, these aren't bad people. They don't mm-hmm. usually think that they're committing a crime mm-hmm. when they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, complex civil, right, is it, similar. It's, it's, you know, everyone thinks that they're sort of in the right. Mm. And what really is at the root of these problems is very human dynamics mm. where people, you know, the, and, and the a perfect storm of unclear policies, mm-hmm. right? Unclear regulations, mm-hmm. gray area. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to be part of helping build a really strong and ethical company culture mm-hmm. that, um, you know, help people develop ethical awareness at work, operate in a manner with their team members that help people spot issues and make the right decisions, and then give them the structure and the framework that they needed to do their job well. Mm-hmm. Mm, excellent. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, the um, ethical practices there. And I think um, that's a part of um, some of the ethics and compliance issues that you deal with in technology, um, social media companies. Um, I, I'd love to hear about some of perhaps the special things that um, you need to work on in your area of risk. And uh, how does that fit in with your ethical leadership model? Sure. Um, so it's interesting. You're framing the question in terms of risk. And at some level, mm-hmm. I think many of the risks are the same, right? Mm-hmm. You're still going to be dealing with bribery and corruption, mm-hmm. trade law. Of course, mm-hmm. privacy is a huge one. Uh-huh. Uh, my team doesn't handle that directly, so I won't mm-hmm. be speaking as much on that. But mm-hmm. it's not, you know, the risks are the same. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, of course, the profile is is different at a tech mm-hmm. company. And I also think, um, in some sense, the opportunities are greater and are, mm. I feel like the tech industry has changed our understanding of what it even means to practice corporate ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you have in the tech industry is you have an employee population of really dialed in team members mm-hmm. who um, have you know, they are not working factory hours mm-hmm. and, you know, really and, and focused on sort of survivor level issues, right? They mm-hmm. generally are well-paid population, um, generally well-educated. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that when, when they're thinking about corporate ethics, they're really mm-hmm. thinking about these higher order issues of mm-hmm. 
um, are we doing the right thing as a company? Mm-hmm. What's our impact on the world? Mm-hmm. Is this a place that is in line with my values? Mm-hmm. And then you, you fuel that also with the mm. enormous responsibility of tech, mm. right? It's, it, we have, I think in the beginning of the tech industry is a little bit like the golden promise, right? This mm-hmm. is just, tech just makes your life better. Mm-hmm. And what we've really seen in the last few years is a recognition of the potential harm mm-hmm. and responsibility that tech has to think really carefully about even the unintended negative consequences that it can have in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's, to my mind, I always think about corporate ethics as a two-way street, right? Mm-hmm. There is um, sort of the traditional area of compliance, which is um, ensuring that team members through their individual actions are protecting the company, um, operating on the right side of the road. Mm -hmm. But you also see the second side of the street, right, which is the the organizational ethics. Mm -hmm. And can team members trust that the company has its organizational ethics really on a really firm foundation? And Mm -hmm. You know, it's not enough anymore as a company for leaders to say, we don't violate the law. Mm-hmm. And for that exactly. to be the business integrity messaging, mm-hmm. they really have to come out in front and address the social responsibility of the company mm-hmm. um, and find ways to, I think, mm-hmm. empower their team members, you know, to view mm-hmm. that kind of conscience and that caring mm-hmm. of their team members as a real mm-hmm. asset of the company. Mm-hmm. And think about, well, how do we take advantage of that asset? How do we really mm-hmm. engage and empower our team members, mm-hmm. not just as followers of rules, mm-hmm. but as ethical leaders. How does right. that make us a better company? Mm-hmm. And so thinking about that, for me, when I uh, when I hear what you're saying, a lot of that comes more into the culture and value side of things versus the specific like tangible framework, I would say, of compliance. Is there anything in particular that you're doing that you'd like to share with us in terms of um, getting those individuals to have integrity embedded into the DNA of the business, people intuitively just doing the right thing rather than thinking about, am I complying with this policy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I will say um, the first step of that journey mm-hmm. is creating, really tying your um, ethics and compliance efforts into the values of the company. Mm-hmm. There's that you know, a diagram that shows that it's like an iceberg Mm -hmm. and the deepest level of behavioral change is identity, Mm -hmm. right? So if you just throw a bunch of rules at people, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really sink in. And so Mm -hmm. you want to create an ethical framework that's rooted in who are we, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as a company. And at Snap, I have the benefit of being able to leverage um, our amazing value of kindness. Mm -hmm. So last year we revamped our code of conduct Mm -hmm. to be the guide to kind business. Mm -hmm. And this idea of kind business is built up around the encompassing, again, not just of, um, you know, not violating the law, not committing Mm -hmm. misconduct, but also ESG principles, that Mm -hmm. idea of, you know, corporate responsibility, positive social impact. Mm -hmm. And so when you put those two hubs together, you have a kind business. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea is to really empower our people to think of themselves as kind business leaders and what that Mm -hmm. means within the scope of their particular role. Mm -hmm. And and so the next year will be sort of 
continuing to leverage those concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, we're developing a champions program. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, doing some messaging with senior business leaders. We're revamping our, our basic training, mm-hmm. um, all to continue to leverage that, that message of kind business. Oh, wonderful. Well, this is very fortuitous because I was hoping to talk to you about your shiny new code of conduct and you've um, already mentioned it and I hadn't made the link between um, that and affecting culture. So what I was going to ask you was to, you know, what what one I wanted to point out, I thought it was awesome, your new code of conduct. Um, You know, the the very first thing you notice um, is, is superficial, but I think it's important when it comes to people being able to digest and the the document being approachable is that it's visually very appealing. There's not too much text running all over the place. Um, It's easy on the eye. Uh, And then the next thing that jumped out at me when it came to reading it was the kindness evangelism piece. And I love that because from a personal values perspective, that is something that I truly prize, but it is, I think, relatively rare to see it Um, prized in the commercial space. And so to see this being embedded in your uh, code of conduct and in fact being a pillar of the document itself, now based on what you've just said, essentially, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that when when our people are identifying with themselves as being kind, they're naturally going to act in such a way that um, facilitates that kind of treatment towards our stakeholders, ourselves, and our environment. And therefore, um, it reminds me of a quote that I love, which is, give someone a reputation to live up to and watch them shine. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially saying, we are a company of kind people. And through that, there is that understanding and expectation that if I'm an employee of a company as such, I need to be kind and ethical and virtuous. Yeah, and I, a couple things on that. Um, one was that, to me, the value of kind works so well because it's a mm-hmm. relational quality, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not a sort of um, virtue, right? Like mm-hmm. um, the virtue approach to ethics is sort of like here are my personal standards for myself, right? And you sort of do things because you hold yourself to a certain you know, I'm an honest person, I'm this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind, mm-hmm. actually, I love, it gets you to think about your impact on others. Right. Mm-hmm. So it already has that way to kind mm-hmm. of put your attention on what will be the ripple effect of my action in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, um, in, in thinking about how to put together the code of conduct, mm-hmm. I also studied a lot of um, the field of, of ESG, environmental mm-hmm. social governance, mm-hmm. which um, has, has become quite clear now is sort of the, you know, getting everyone to really rethink how mm-hmm. we approach compliance work. Um, and what I loved about ESG was um, the ties it had towards stakeholder capitalism. Mm-hmm. Because I think um, the, you know, ESG is, 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 is the output, right? Like, mm-hmm. Your, your KPIs on ESG, you know, the, the, all of that is wonderful, the reporting mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. But to me, the real impact of ESG is the input. It's the mm. mental map that it has for how to think about business, mm-hmm. shifting us from a shareholder primacy model, mm-hmm. which is just focused on maximizing short-term profit mm-hmm. for um, shareholders, mm-hmm. and expanding that towards a long-term view of business, which says, mm-hmm. actually, the most successful way to think about business 
um, is to expand your time horizon towards the long term and to really think mm-hmm. about how do you invest in the health of everyone with whom you come into contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of there's a um, it's kind of moving from what's been called like a fishing with dynamite model. Like mm-hmm. if you fish with dynamite, great. You're going to get a lot of fish very quick, but you're going to kill the <laughs> pond. Right? right. And so the share, you know, even the shareholders might say, great, you know, that was wonderful, but that's going to implode for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's certainly models of that out in the world where businesses who have an ext- an extractive approach to business, mm-hmm. um, can be very successful in the short term, but they might face regulatory hurdles down the road. They mm-hmm. might lose the trust mm-hmm. of their of their users, you know, of mm-hmm. their of their business partners. And so a better way to think about business that is offered, you know, I learned about through ESG and the stakeholder model of capitalism is to really think about investing in the, in the health of all of your stakeholders. Mm. Um, and to be very clear about who are those stakeholders and to understand, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to think, okay, well, I'm actually doing this, right? The being Mm -hmm. kind isn't even so much like I'm now going to think of myself as a good person or Mm -hmm. a caring person. Mm -hmm. It's actually a business strategy. Mm -hmm. And the business strategy is I recognize that my long-term health is Mm -hmm. tied up with the long-term health of all my stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take measures to proactively invest in the health of those stakeholders, Mm. Right. And of course, one of those measures is by following rules, mm-hmm. right? Making sure you don't enter uh, an emerging market and uh, support corruption in that market, mm-hmm. right? Through, through condoning bribery would be mm-hmm. one example. But I think what the stakeholder model really does is says, well, is that enough? What else can mm-hmm. we do? Mm-hmm. And so it brings this element of innovation into the world of ethics and Mm -hmm. and a way to think about ethics that really um, says, well, this isn't even a constraint on business, right? Like our ethics, our reputation, our investment in our stakeholders is actually our road to profit. It is very consistent, aligned Mm -hmm. and embedded in our business strategy. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you um, uh, headed into the direction of ESG because I was going to ask you about that as well. So as I understand it, ESG strategy is not owned by compliance at SNAP, but you do work cross-functionally with other teams to facilitate the company's ESG goals. How does this work in practice? Who does what? Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, Our ESG lead is uh, part of the same team that I am. We're we're peers at SNAP. Uh, She's wonderful. And um, it's been a real, I think it, it makes absolute sense to have the ESG function be mm-hmm. part of the compliance function mm-hmm. um, because I think that there's um, benefit on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, on the ESG side, I think um, ethics and compliance can assist ESG by um, really taking what I just said, their whole mm-hmm. model of how they think mm-hmm. about business and building that into our ethical culture mm-hmm. programming. Mm-hmm. So that you're getting people to have an ESG mindset, mm-hmm. not just a let's get some output and then report it to get our ratings up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really embedded into the culture of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, there's, uh, there's also certainly the compliance crossover, right? Where there's certain elements of ESG that are just simply very compliance and, and operationally mm-hmm. focused that we can mm-hmm. assist with in that way. Uh, I, you know, 
because we're part of the same team, we, we interact all the time. One of the yeah. major things that I did with her that was really helpful mm-hmm. um, was to participate in a materi- materiality assessment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the compliance world, we typically do risk assessments. Mm-hmm. Again, it's sort of focused on the mitigating risk aspect of mm-hmm. the, you know, compliance um, pie. But this was the other half of the pie, the ethical mm-hmm. leadership, social impact mm-hmm. and, and pie. And in that f- arena, the question is not let's assess risk. It's let's find mm-hmm. out what we, what we care about and what's important to our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get at some of those reputational aspects and some of right. those, mm-hmm. you know, higher order ethical questions, right? We're not at risk if we don't do this necessarily, but we uh-huh. feel it's important to our right. overall ethical reputation as a company and, and mm-hmm. who we want to be in the world. And so that was a really, it was a wonderful chance to um, hear senior leaders um, speaking on that aspect of of our corporate ethics, that is interesting. Was um, I'm probably going to put you on the spot right now, so no worries if there isn't an answer to this. But was there anything sort of surprising that you learned from doing that assessment? Yeah, um, I think the most it wasn't surprising, but it was notable mm-hmm. was the consistency of thought. Huh. Um, because in some sense when you start to talk about ethics, it can get into abstraction very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. And it can kind of have that virtue model, like Mm -hmm. we're good people. We do the Mm -hmm. right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, in, you know, sometimes it can feel like there's, there's not a lot of substance. If all you're saying is we don't violate the law. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was what I saw in these interviews was a real consistency of thought in terms of how, that sort of long-term thinking I just talked about, that sort mm-hmm. of biz- ethical business strategy actually really guided the decision-making of our leaders mm-hmm. and in very tangible ways, such mm-hmm. that after having done a few of those interviews, I was really impressed with how consistent mm-hmm. um, everyone was in the way that they really thought about their jobs and how mm-hmm. deeply that value really impacted their approach. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, you're also a big proponent of um, DEI, which has been falling sometimes uh, officially under the compliance portfolio for some companies. Other times, some of us are taking an interest in it. So, for example, I'm on the committee of our AAPI employee resource group, um, and it's manifested in, 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 I'm sure, uh, countless ways for those of us who are interested, but perhaps it's not official as part of our um, job. Uh, so I'd like to hear from you, um, how has your being a proponent of DEI impacted your approach to ethics and compliance? Great. Um, yes, I'm half Mexican, born in Mexico, half Jewish. Uh, my mom met my dad on spring break in Mexico. <laughs> and I spent my whole childhood kind of, you know, all of my dad's family was still in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I spent my whole childhood, my whole growing up um, with this kind of like a, you know, camera one, camera two, <laughs> like yes. a very good by ethnic, by, you know, yep. uh, cultural upbringing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that deeply impacted my view of the world and mm-hmm. my under- how I relate to groups, mm-hmm. how I think of myself, um, you know, what it felt like for me to go to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really like very embedded in who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And so it became part of my personal professional mm-hmm. journey. But I love that it's now become also very core to my work. 
mm-hmm. as an ethics and compliance person, because I don't think you can have an ethical culture if you don't have DEI. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I say that for a couple of reasons. The, the, the main one is simply like, if you have a, a homogeneous culture where everyone mm-hmm. thinks alike, mm-hmm. you are absolutely going to be more prone to moral blind spots. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to spot them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this amazing book by Max Bazerman called Blind Spots that you know talks about um, how blind spots exist and like how prevalent they can be. It's like a really fascinating read. I love how he talked about um, one anecdote from there is there's a guy who was working at Ford making the Pinto. Mm-hmm. And he's like, after, or he said, before I worked at Ford, I could have told you the Pinto was a horrible idea. Huh. And after I worked at Ford, I could have told you the Pinto was a horrible idea. Mm. But while I was at Ford, I didn't see it, right? Oh, and, that's interesting. Yeah. And so it's like, what is it about the groups that we're part of mm-hmm. that is so powerful mm-hmm. in our ability to spot issues, spot risk, mm-hmm. speak up, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and that's really the point of the book. It's not even like people felt uncomfortable talking because the group is homogeneous. They didn't want to ruffle feathers. They literally didn't see the problem mm-hmm. as this guy's anecdote illustrates. Mm-hmm. And I find that very consistent with my own experience that my background as an outsider in certain mm-hmm. ways, you know, having access to mm-hmm. see the United States from the outside, to see certain groups, you know, from the outside gives me that like little bit of awareness, that little bit of distance mm. to be able to say like, huh, does anyone else see this issue? Does anyone else see this problem? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and that's how I feel like um, DEI really contributes to company cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, DEI should not, it's not for the benefit even necessarily of the people who are in the outsider groups. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we want, you know, career support or, you know, to make sure that we have a fair shot. It's also mm-hmm. really for the benefit of the companies that we mm-hmm. are a part of that the um, intelligence and, and life perspective of people mm-hmm. from all different walks of life is leveraged mm. so that the company as a collective is making better decisions. Mm. I think that's a really great explanation. Um, and as someone who is also um, multi-ethnic, um, very relatable um, explanation at the beginning there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that hit home for me. <laughs> you get it. You get it. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> um, so thank you for um, what you do to um, advance uh, you know, when, when there are companies that are kind of sexy, like Snap is, I think it's helpful that there are people who are seen to be role models in this space and um, it, it sets a tone for other companies as well. So thank you for the work that you do. My final question for you is what is on the agenda for SNAP's compliance program in 2022? So I don't know if you're going to be able to top this kindness evangelism <laughs> code of conduct, but I'm, I'm willing to be surprised. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really some of the elements that I already mentioned, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, a code of conduct is wonderful. It's very, mm-hmm. it's great. I also give a, com- a shout out to the company that helped us prepare it, Think Parallax. Cool. They're actually in the ESG space. Oh, interesting. Working with them because they were much more aligned with the type of ethics I want to yep. create than someone who had like done a bunch of codes of conduct kind of with a compliance focus. So they really got it. 
Yeah. Cool. So it's shout out to, to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have wonderful graphic designers on, on their team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and I think for me that, the, you know, it, it, it's those two halves of ethics and compliance, the mm-hmm. compliance piece mm-hmm. and the ethics piece. I'm focused on both of them. You know, in terms of the compliance work, I get, get great joy out of t- telling people in the simplest possible terms, making their lives easier. Mm-hmm. So they have the information they need to do to, you know, follow policies, mm-hmm. obey the law. In that realm, I want to be as invisible as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sometimes jokingly refer to that work as, as I'm a plumber, you know, in mm-hmm. the sense that, you know, it, it's, the, it's the, is pipe A connected to pipe B? Do you have any leaks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there any lack of clarity? Do people mm-hmm. just need, you know, how can we embed this into workflows to mm-hmm. automate this entire process and make it as mindless and easy as possible? I think mm-hmm. that's very important work as a company like Snap scales internationally. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is that sort of kindness evangelism piece is the ethical culture piece, mm-hmm. which I feel is just as important because mm-hmm. we are never, you know, I'm never going to be able to possibly think of all the different ways that ethical risk can crop up, mm-hmm. compliance risk can crop up, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's emergent, you mm-hmm. know, it, 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 in a, in a company and culture, I, I can never possibly get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And so to my mind, the best thing I can do is teach people how to think, mm-hmm. you know, is embed the identity of kind business mm-hmm. and have it be natural mm-hmm. that it leads people to ask the questions I want them to ask as right. they are starting to, create new products or do new ventures. Yeah, I think that is that is the ultimate goal really is <laughs> getting everyone to that point where they're like my spidey senses are going off. I may not know how to word this exactly as being some kind of a threat to our reputation, but something's not right here or I feel like this is worth checking. I think if we can get yes. to that point with every single employee that would be an amazing goal achieved. Yes. And that they could also activate that other Spidey sense where, where they say, huh, we actually have a social impact here as a company. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just take the example of going into an emerging market, right? Mm-hmm. What, how can our values, our ethics, mm-hmm. our commitment to our stakeholders mm-hmm. actually help us be an even more powerful presence in mm-hmm. this market in a way that, elevates the game for everyone mm-hmm. you know so we it, it's that sort of thinking where it's not even about mitigating risk necessarily mm-hmm. but it's it's about like the innovation piece of mm-hmm. truly believing that our ethics and the way we approach mm-hmm. problems and our relationship with our stakeholders is part of um the differentiator you know part mm-hmm. of what makes us a great company right that your win-win is, is a competitive advantage almost yes mm. Yeah, I think you need you need all. You need the risk side yeah. and and you need the possibility side. Well, I think a lot of people here um listening will have a quite a bit of food for thought to be considering here after today's episode Nicole. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your philosophy and approach. I love it. Um, especially given that my um, title is Head of Culture of Integrity. Um, So uh, very much um, same kinds of uh, thought processes I think are happening. So looking forward to seeing um, what you do next and encouraging all of our listeners 
take a look at the Snap Code of Conduct, a really cool resource for seeing what I think is really codes 3.0 as uh, our profession keeps advancing. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.